Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week, and thank you so much for those of you who have joined us every week. I trust you are growing and learning, and uh, you know, I so appreciate uh, of television for this reason. I'm a traveling ministry, and I never have the opportunity to just develop and build line upon line, precept upon precept, like I do when I'm in the TV studio. And a lot of times when I'm preaching to an audience, I don't really get to unpack a lot of stuff because I'm only there for a couple of days. But uh, we are having so many people that are following our ministry, not only through television, but through our YouTube series. They are using these in their Bible studies on Wednesday night in, in uh, ministry training settings and, and uh, you know, stuff like that because uh, it's just is so on demand. And uh, let me just say to you that if you have not been following our ministry, that everything we've aired to date is archived on YouTube. And uh, we just started last week introducing a new series where we're teaching on the seven I Ams of Jesus in the book of John. We're studying the book of John, and uh, there was uh, seven things that Jesus says, I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true vine, etc. I'm the door. And uh, we just began to introduce that last week. And sometimes when you hear it, there's no way you can get everything I'm saying in one setting. So that being said, I just want to let you know that everything we air and everything we've aired to date is available on our YouTube channel not only available on our YouTube channel, it is available on our podcast, on iTunes. It is also available in audio form as an RSS feed for your Android device. Now the easiest way to do any of that is to simply go to my website, which the address is on the screen, and the opening page will have a screen, and it will be the latest video that we have aired for television. In the upper right-hand corner of your screen, there will be a little icon for our podcast and a little, uh, looks like a little robot thing for the Android device. If you tap on them, it will take you directly there and you won't have to search for it. You can actually sign up for the podcast or for the YouTube. You can, it's, it's free. And then uh, every time we upload something, you'll get a notification that it is there. And we encourage you to watch it, share it, share it on your Facebook page, share it with your friends if you're being blessed by it. And uh, it is there for you at no charge. If you go to our website also you'll find while you're there that there's a whole host of uh, products there. We have all of our books are listed on, uh, on the YouTube. We have a lot of audio CDs and a lot of downloads and, and uh, just a lot of, uh, I think, resources that will really, really bless your life. And uh, you know, uh, while you're there, order some of that. If you want to, you can also, uh, there's a place where you could give if you'd like to give, or you can become a partner with our ministry. You can set up a recurring you know, a recurring debit if you'd like on your credit card. There's all kinds of ways to do that. And while we, we probably spend very little time on our program talking about finances or raising money, it does take your help to be able to do that. And so, you know, uh, just consider that when you are feeding from our ministry, that if you're able to help us 
we do deeply, deeply appreciate it. And so, you know, we just, I, I, I sometimes become so frustrated because I see things so many times on television that just manipulate and scam God's people and think they've got to buy or purchase the blessing of God. And it just, it just frustrates me. And um, uh, I probably shouldn't say too much about it. But you know, what happens is a lot of times people complain and, and they'll talk about, well, these guys are are scammers or they're crooked, but see, they'll complain about that, but they don't get behind the honest guys. So, you know, get behind what you believe in, whether it's your local church or whatever, and support that because it's what really helps us take the gospel around the world. That being said, let me get into the book of John. Once again, you can watch these on demand. And we begin to introduce this last, last week because John is really one of the most prolific writers, I think, of the New Testament. And I'm going to just make a few statements. First of all, the Gospel of John does not have the Olivet Discourse in it. And I, 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 I shared last week why it doesn't have the Olivet Discourse. That is the prophecies that Jesus gave concerning uh, the, the, the end of the age and famines and wars and the temple being destroyed and not one stone being left on another. The reason for that is because I believe the book of Revelation is John's version of the Olivet Discourse. So uh, that's, my, that's my view of it. And the book of, uh, so the book of John uh, is really more, uh, and it, the book of John doesn't begin necessarily with the Mosaic Covenant. It begins with, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it takes you all the way back to Genesis 1-1, and it connects you to something that even predated the mosaic, he was the logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things was made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And so John's starting point is with the very beginning. And then his argument through this, let me just read from my notes because it makes it a little bit quicker for me to say it. It says, uh, this book presents the most powerful case and all the Bible for the deity of the incarnate Son of God. The deity of Christ can be seen in His seven I Am statements. On certain occasions, Jesus equates Himself with the Old Testament I Am, or Yahweh. John also em emphasizes that he, has, that he was the Word, that is, He was the Logos. John also emphasizes that the Word was made flesh, and the humanity of Jesus is emphasized. Remember that in the later epistles of John, he is refuting the Gnostics who do not believe that Jesus had really come in the flesh. John states in his epistles, do you remember that in one of his epistles when John said, little children? He said, any spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. Paul, John was refuting the Gnostics who didn't believe Jesus was really the tangible, physical manifestation of the Logos or the Word of God. But John also declares, he says, you know, in other words, he's really one of the, the final apostles that are alive, and he's saying to them, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled of the Word of God. He was not just divine or some puff of spirit. He was human and divine. And that's so powerful because there's some stuff that we need to understand that God was doing as He's bringing together the human and the divine. Let me, let me read this and then I'll come back and talk about that for a moment. 
He's, uh, remember that in the later epistles of John, he's refuting the Gnostics who do not believe that Jesus had really come in the flesh. John states in his epistles, our eyes have seen and our hands have handled the tangible Word of God, which was Christ. He is both human and divine. He was very God and very man. As such, we must emphasize both His humanity and His divinity. That is, what He did as God and what He did as a man in union with God. The fourth gospel has the clearest statement of purpose, I believe, in the Bible. And it's stated or written in this verse, in John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells you this is the purpose. He said, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. That's John 20, 31. John said, I wrote this so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life through His name. That's where life comes from, is believing and having faith in His name. Hallelujah. Now, I want to say a few things, because as I read this, it really began to stir in my spirit that He's both human and divine. Uh, you know, I have a you know I, I have a lot of people who follow me uh, through Facebook, social media, different things like that. And so, as a result, of course, I see all kinds of different concepts and ideas and things that are shared. And some things are good, some things are not. I think one of our biggest problems is we think the piece of truth that we have is all there is. So we overemphasize either one side of the gospel or the other side. Now you say, what do you mean? I, I, I like to think of it like this. The gospel is both objective and subjective. I call it the way of grace and the walk of faith. The subjective or the objective side of the gospel is what God did in Christ all by Himself. It is His sovereignty. It is the way of grace. It is God without any help from man. It is the finished work of the cross of Calvary without any help from you. That's the objective side of the gospel. For instance, by whose stripes you were healed. Uh, it, this is the objective side of the gospel. That uh, uh, by the death of one man, He hath reconciled us to God by the death of His Son. That had nothing to do with you. That's what God did. Now let me tell you what happens if we overemphasize one or the other of the objective or the subjective, or let me say it like this, if we overemphasize what He did as the divine, and we don't emphasize what He did as a human, we will come up again with a partial piece of truth. And sometimes what we have is just enough truth to be dangerous because if, for instance, we overemphasize, and I'm, listen, I'm a grace preacher and have been a leading voice in the, in, in the gospel of grace. But if we overemphasize grace and we don't, we don't emphasize faith, in other words, grace is what God did for me, as me, His sovereign will, His finished work on the cross. Jesus did that for me and as me. Where faith comes into it is the subjective side, where I appropriate what He did by grace. In other words, I could say to you, okay, on Calvary's cross, in the finished work of the cross, by whose stripes you were healed. 
that's powerfully, powerfully truth, and it's powerfully there. But my foot hurts. Many of you watching me today are struggling with physical problems, having known that the objective side of the gospel and what he did sovereignly for you is accomplished. But if I don't mix the word with faith, in other words, if it's not faith and grace, we access, by, we access, we access, don't earn, we access this grace by faith. So when I believe what he did, it begins to appropriate it to my life. In other words, we were reconciled by the death of his son, and every man, boy, girl, woman has been reconciled by the death of Jesus Christ. I think that the, not the Amplified, but the Message Bible says, here it is in a nutshell, Romans 5. One man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. So he told you what he do, did and what he did in his finished work. And then he says, but now we've given you the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not counting men's sin against him, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And our message is to tell people this, be ye reconciled to God. So he was reconciled to you. That's the objective side of the gospel. You being reconciled to him is the subjective side. That's where it becomes the way of grace and the walk of faith. I love it how the Message Bible says it. It says in, in Romans 5 again, it says, uh, here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on. See, most people are just happy to hear the side of the message of grace that you're not in trouble anymore. God's not mad with you. But see, the, this book of John is written that you might have life in His name. Now see, we read stuff into the text that's not here. He didn't say that you might go to heaven when you die. Now that's included in the package. I'm not doing away with that. But see, what most people are missing is He's not just offering you a ticket to heaven one day in the sweet by and by. He's offering you an abundant life right now that will cause the kingdom of heaven to come into your life right now. See, your inheritance is not when you die. You don't get inheritance when you die. You get inheritance when somebody else dies. And I've got some good news for you today. He died and left you something, a will, a testament, an inheritance. And one of the things that we are heirs of is we are heirs together of the grace of life. And so that's one of the things that we are. But you see, what we need to understand is that when Jesus is in the planet, and one of the things that John is emphasizing is that He is both human and divine. So there's some things that He's showing you about God, and some things He's doing as the divine, and some things He's doing as, uh, as a man. I mean, it is important that He came and took on flesh and blood. He became, Hebrews 1 and 2 says, He became a partaker of flesh and blood, so that he could taste death for every man. He came in a human form because there were some things that he had to fulfill uh, as a human. And I believe even at the covenant site, when he's on the cross, he is fully representing both the human and the divine. I, I, you know, I, I just really believe that that's what's happening there. He is literally taking on himself. He is taking on himself both sides of this thing, and at the covenant site, he is he is fully representing God, and he is fully representing 
man. Hallelujah. And so if we don't see those pieces, we will get out of balance. For instance, if you overemphasize grace, and, it, it, and all what God did, and I'm, I'm on board with that. It is powerfully there. These guys are absolutely teaching. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's powerfully there in the Scripture. That's why you cannot refute what they're saying. God did this without any help from you, and the grace of God comes with unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. And that's, but, but what happens, is, and I've seen it, we've, we've watched it over the years. You preach uh, the grace of God, and you should preach the grace of God. What happens, though, is you overemphasize grace, and people become spiritual couch potatoes. And we feel like we don't have to do anything anymore. And we really don't have to. But here's the deal. When, if you overemphasize faith and you don't have grace, you're going to end up being formulas, and it's going to be a form of legalism. Did you say it right? Did you hold your mouth right when you said it? Did you do this? And it's all based on you. See, one, if you overemphasize the faith without grace, it's going to end up works, labor, and sweat. And if you overemphasize grace without faith, you're going to end up with people who don't respond and do anything. But when you bring grace and faith together, they are the dynamic duo, I call it, because when you access this grace by faith, once you believe what He did in the finished work, that's why the just will live by faith. That's why the covenant is based on faith. That's why Abraham is mentioned so many times, is because it is faith that begins to access what He's already done. In other words, even as we preach identity and who you are in Christ, the moment you believe that, you're going to begin to act out of who you believe you are. And I get really kind of frustrated a little bit because I, I, I said to someone recently, I said, now, you know, there's even a, a thread out there that wants to talk about you don't even have to believe. It's not your faith. It's God's faith. And I get that. There is some things that God believes. But if I don't believe it, in other words, I, I, I can have a million dollars in the bank. But if nobody ever tells me that, and nobody ever teaches me how to access this, and I don't believe it, I'm not ever going to access it. So yes, I'm healed. Yes, I'm delivered. Yes, I'm free. But if I don't appropriate by faith the healing Jesus paid for, my foot's going to continue to hurt. And I, I know there's a lot to be said about divine healing and some of the stuff that's there, but I just want you to see that, yes, it's paid for. He's not going to do that somewhere in your future. He's not going to come to the cross again and die for your sin in the future. He's already done that for the sins of the whole world. But when I access that and receive, and not achieve, but receive the inheritance that belongs to me, my faith accesses what grace has provided. So he came to fully represent both God and man, the human and the divine, because in the very beginning, uh, it was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you see the very same thing even in the person of Adam in Eden's mystic garden. He was out of the earth, and he was earthy, but before the day was over, God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, and the human and the divine came together so that he was God's representative in the earth. He was to the blue ball called earth what God was to the invisible realm called heaven, so much so that He named the animals, and He was God's vice regent in the earth. God's wanting to restore that. And so hundreds of years, uh, you know, uh, not hundreds, but thousands of years passed after the fall of Adam, and the moment that Adam partakes of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and dis walks in disobedience. And see, really, that was an issue of faith, because if he'd simply had believed what God told him, 
he would have obeyed the voice of God. But because he partook of that tree, he disconnected and the divine and the human begin to separate and God began to, uh, you know, uh, the heavens of heavens begin to be for God and men were in the earth. But when God got ready to restore that, that's why John begins with this again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Is that Jesus for the first time in 4,000 years was the first time that the human and the divine had come together. Heaven and earth had merged in the person of Jesus Christ. He was very God and very man. He was both human and divine. He was the interface that brought the best of both worlds together in the person of Jesus Christ. Because when God leaned over the balconies of glory and saw Mary, He said uh, that the virgin is going to conceive and have a son. And the human and the divine came together and gave birth to the Son, the only begotten Son of the living God, who was flesh and blood. And that's what John was saying even in one of his epistles to the Gnostics. If you don't believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it's a spirit of Antichrist. He was very real. Our hands handled Him. We saw, our hands have handled the good Word of God, the Logos. He is the substance by which all things are held together. And so much, I mean, there's so much to say. I get talking here and I can't hardly get into the whole subject matter of it. But the reality of it is, is that even I think probably the moment that Adam and Eve begin to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they partook of that tree. And he said, the moment you eat this tree, you're going to die. Now, again, we're not going to read something into the text. Not, he didn't say you're going to die and go to hell. He said you're going to die. Death was the result. And so death was what man became depleted of. Jesus comes on the scene to reverse that. I came to give you back a life because death became the force that brought sin upon the entire human family. And now Jesus is going to come on the scene and say, I am the life. I am the life. And He's going to restore what you lost, and that was a life. See, I'm convinced that the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about receiving a life that will keep you. That's why he's saying to them, he, he said to them, I, these things I'm writing to you that you might believe on the only begotten of the Son of God, and that believing you might have life, life through His name. And I can see the moment that Adam began to partake of that tree, and he's about to enter into a realm of death. I can see God look over at the angels of glory and say, with almost grief in his voice, he's going to leave us. He's going to leave the dimension of the heavenlies that he's walked in. He's going to walk into a realm of death. He's going to leave us. And perhaps Michael or Gabriel may have said to him, how do you know he's going to leave us? And God would probably something, say something like this, it's because it's what I would do. It's what I would do. I would leave the splendors of heaven also and go be joined to my bride, except the first Adam left the splendors of heaven out of rebellion to God and joined himself to his bride. But Jesus, the true Son of God, emptied himself, hallelujah, and became obedient to death 
so that he can rejoin himself to his bride through obedience. And one man's disobedience brought death on the human family, but the obedience of another reconnected us to God. And Jesus emptied himself and came and rejoined himself to his bride, but because he had no wages of sin coming, which was death, he could go down into the realms of death and bring us back up into the realms of life. That's why he would say, I am the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. And so he's literally introducing to them what he truly is. Now let me just go through very quickly, and again, I've been two, uh, two, two programs almost just introducing this. Here are the seven I am's. In John 6.35 he says, I am the bread of life. Now the contrast is, he's saying to them <coughs> the first time he uses that, your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they're dead. So he's showing them the contrast here is, I'm a different kind of bread. You're going to feed on something that's going to give you life. The second I am, he says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. You thought the law of Moses was your light, but I want you to know that I'm the true light of the world. John 10, he says, I'm the door. And I'm the door into the sheepfold. You thought performance Christianity was the way in, and these are going to be powerful as we unpack them, but I just need you to know that he's saying, I am the door. In John 10, he said, I am the good shepherd. And he's contrasting that with Old Testament scriptures that talk about bad shepherds. For instance, in Isaiah 56, he said, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain from his own quarter. He's talking about polluted, corrupted shepherds, but he's saying, look away from that. I'm the shepherd. I'm the true shepherd. And that's, that's one of the I am's. That's the fourth I am of Jesus. And the fifth I am of Jesus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The sixth uh, uh, I am of John is he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's John 14. And John 15, he said, I am the true vine, and your father is the husbandman. So the true vine is not Israel, because in the Old Testament and Isaiah's prophecies especially, he said he had a choice vine. But that, that choice vine in that vineyard in Matthew chapter 23 was going to be taken from them and given to a nation producing the fruit thereof. And Jesus says every, he, he began to say, listen man, the vine is not natural Israel. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And Romans 11 he talks about this. And the whole point that we all fall out over most of the time is whether natural Israel, spiritual Israel, the people of God. But see, the point is not whether your ethnic background is right. The point is, what root are you connected to? Because the root and the vine was Jesus. And He's saying, I am the true vine. So it doesn't matter your ethnic background if you're not connected to the vine you're not bearing fruit. And so what he's showing is the contrast. Those are the seven I am's of Jesus, and we're going to unpack them, and we're going to take our time to look at each one of them almost individually. We're out of time again for this program. If you'd like to join us uh, and, and help us to take the gospel around the world, simply call the number on the screen 
The easiest way to do it is go to our website, and there is a place there where you, it says you can give. There you can give via PayPal or a credit card, debit card. You can set up a monthly debit if you'd like to. You can also write to the number that's on the screen, give a check to Lynn House Ministries, and that address will come on the screen. Thank you for joining us. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.